0: So we just finished 1 Peter, and early this week I had just gotten my Genesis commentaries back out, getting ready to tackle another large chunk of that book, when my wife suggested, hey, why don't you preach on faith promise? And so the first thing I did is what I always do when my wife suggests something. I said, yes, dear. Um, And then the second thing I did was I said, hmm, haven't I preached on faith promise before? And how long ago was that? Was it long enough maybe that I could uh, recycle something? Um, And I found it. It was back in 2017. So it was six years ago. And I decided, no, that's not long enough. Now, that's silly. Because you don't remember what I preached six years ago. Because I don't remember what I preached six years ago. But a made-up, self-imposed rule is a made-up, self-imposed rule. And I'll live by it. But I got it out and I looked at it. It was from 2 Corinthians 8. Which is a good go-to passage about giving and about generosity. And so I was reading that and I just kept reading what came after it. Which is 2 Corinthians 9. In case you didn't know. And what I read immediately grabbed hold of me. Um, And several things just started jumping off the page. And I got excited about it, as I guess only a geek like me would get excited by things like that. But um, uh, the Lord began to work immediately in my heart by what I was seeing there. My prayer is that he'll do the same for you today as we look at uh, this chapter. 2 Corinthians 9, it's 15 verses. I want to invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. And let's see what he wants to do in all of our hearts. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you, this is Paul speaking, about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, which is just the region where the city of Corinth is located in, Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has been stirred up has stirred up most of them but i am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as i said you would be otherwise if some macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully." Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. May God bless the preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray for the help that we need. Oh God, indeed, would you work on our hearts from this passage this morning. Would you teach us about generosity and about giving? And you, O God, are the perfect teacher. Because there is none so generous as you. There is no one who has given like you have given. Would you take that truth and would you transform our hearts with it? Would you help us to receive what you say about generosity and about giving? And would you make us ready to apply it as well? We ask for this help in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so I'll start with a bit of a disclaimer. This sermon isn't technically about faith promise. It's not a topical sermon on the topic of faith promise because, frankly, we don't do topical sermons here. We don't preach topics. We preach God's word. So this is a sermon on 2 Corinthians 9. And 2 Corinthians 9 has quite a bit to say about giving and about generosity, which both have to do with our practice here of using faith promise as a means of supporting and helping to fund the mission works and the ministry partners that we work with. And so I will try to tie in some application along the way toward that as it specifically relates to faith promise. But what we find in this passage has much broader application too. Than just a narrow topic now in order to get to the good stuff we need to start and it should come as no surprise to you by now with a little bit of context we're just going to plop ourselves down into this letter one chapter out of many for just a sermon or two we need to have our bearings paul says in verse one it's superfluous for him to write about the ministry for the saints That's because the people that he's writing about already know what he's talking about. But we don't, at least not without a little refresher. What Paul's talking about is a collection that's being taken up, a pretty large collection being taken up in lots of churches over the whole region that would be sent back to the church in Jerusalem. Because those folks were very much in need. Now, They had a difficult time enough already living in an occupied land. But now famine had come to the land. And now you add hunger and starvation on top of what they're already going through, and it is tough times indeed. So even though the the geography would separate these saints in Corinth from the saints in Jerusalem and all these other locales that are where funds are being raised... And I'm sure that most of them, probably not any of them, even knew a single person in the church at Jerusalem. Paul knows it's appropriate. It's part of God's design for the church that brothers and sisters in Christ look after one another. They seek to share their resources, to to meet whatever needs they may have. And so this collection is something the church in Corinth has agreed to participate in. If you wanted to look at some of the backstory, you could go to 1 Corinthians 16 where the original instructions are given by Paul to this church and where they agreed to participate. Today's passage is prompted by Paul's concern, perhaps even a little bit of anxiety, that uh, maybe these guys aren't going to follow through on this commitment like we had previously discussed. Now, I'll give you a little more as we go along, but I think that's enough to get us started as far as context. There are four main parts to what I hope to do with this passage. The first is there's just oodles and oodles of good principles about generosity and giving. Just giving Just truths, either that things that are true about giving or that should be true about our giving. And I want us to look at those. The second thing is that one of those principles needs more fleshing out. It needs a bit more time because Paul singles it out as the main point. He says, this is the main point. And so we're going to give it the attention it deserves. Uh, Third is that there is very much a God-focusedness to this passage, uh, to our giving, to our generosity. And I want us to look at that to delve into God's role in all of this. And then fourth, and very important, is we need to look at how does our generosity and giving relate to the gospel? Because you know we've got to tie it back to there always. You've got an outline in your worship folder, but you'll probably notice that only one of those things is listed on the outline. Because, in the famous words of Britney Spears, oops, I did it again. It's just too much for one sermon. But the good news is, I'm learning, and I realize this early on that I was trying to cram way too much in. And so this will be a two-parter, at least. Um, because we're only going to cover number one today. And then I'll try to cram it all in next week. And we'll see how that goes. Um, things that are true or should be true about our giving. Number one, generosity and giving can be contagious. Contagious. Apparently, the saints in Corinth have a history of generosity. It's something Paul has bragged about to the other churches that he ministers to. Now, it's interesting that he mentions bragging on the Corinthians to the Macedonians, telling them how eager and how ready Corinth was to participate in this collection. And Paul says at the end of verse 2 that the Corinthian generosity has so stirred up the generosity of the Macedonians well what's the big, big deal about that well 2nd Corinthians 8 the, the passage that I preached on last time for faith promise talks about the Macedonians and about how poor they were I mean these folks were really really poor they were in need themselves they probably could have used somebody taking up a collection for them and yet God moved in their hearts to give. And now we find out from this passage what it was that helped stir that generosity up. It was the generosity of the Corinthians. Others who were much more well-off than they were, most likely. Paul says of the Macedonians that they begged to take part in this collection. I wonder if even maybe Paul was thinking, well, God, they're so poor, they're probably not going to participate in that. That's OK. But no, they insisted. They begged. Let us take part. Let us be a part of this. And Paul says that they didn't just give. They didn't give according to their means. They gave beyond their means. And so that's the first important thing for us to know. Giving and generosity can be contagious. You have no idea what God is going to do with your giving or with your generosity. Probably a bunch of things. He's going to do stuff in your heart. He's going to do stuff, obviously, for the need that you're helping to meet with your gift. But he may even encourage someone else to be generous and to give because you gave. So that's the first thing. Second thing we see about giving in this passage There's something to be said for giving that's prepared, uh, that's thought about in advance. Now, certainly there can be spontaneous and spur of the moment giving. That's wonderful. But there can also be giving that's deliberate and and purposeful. Uh, Paul uses the language of being ready to give in, in verse three. He says he's sending the brothers. We know from other places in Scripture that it's three and that one of those three is named. And it's Titus, actually, who is sent to make sure that they are ready to give. So Paul's plan is they're going to get ready to give. They're going to get it collected. And then later he's going to come back through and make another visit to these churches and collect the gift, take it on to Jerusalem. That's his plan. Verse five has more of this. He says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised. So Paul has in view here giving that there's been some time and some thought put into it and and presumably some prayer. Should I give? What should I give? How much can I give? Now I was struck By Paul's language here, he refers to this as the gift you have promised. Promised. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? It almost sounds like they've made a pledge. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I know that some of you are pledge averse. Some of you are allergic to these little purple sheets, right? And you say, well, I'll give, I'm just not going to make a pledge. I'm not going to promise to do so, but I'll give. And you've got various reasons for thinking like you do, and that's fine for now, And I don't want to get into the specifics necessarily of all those reasons that you might have, because this passage doesn't go there specifically. But let me just point out that we can clearly observe that Paul at least saw merit in this approach to giving. Letting folks know about the need, giving them time to make some type of commitment or pledge or promise to give, And then giving them time to get it ready for collecting. It sounds to me a lot like our faith promise. Sounds to me a lot like what a lot of churches do for their regular giving too. I'm, I'm not suggesting that we do that here. I'm just saying it's a common practice. Now, part of the advantage to this approach to giving prepared, deliberate, thought about in advance has to do with principle number three. Giving ought to be willing and not forced. See, if you've got time to think about this and to make your decision, you've got time to think and pray and wrestle with God and wrestle with your own fears and motives. and And make a decision that isn't hasty. That's Paul's fear here with the Corinthians. That that they might not get around to making preparations. Maybe they've gotten distracted or are going to forget. That for whatever reason they won't be ready. And then when Paul gets there, they're going to say, ah! Oh no! And then they'll scramble to do something hasty and last minute. Maybe something that they would regret. Maybe something that they felt guilted into doing or forced into doing and that is not what paul wants at all i said i wasn't going to deal with the reasons let me just speculate on one thought that why some might be pledge averse is because they feel like making a pledge impinges on their freedom they feel like maybe it constricts them but I would really want you to rethink that. Making a, making a pledge, Allah faith promise, gives you lots of time in advance to, to think it over. I think it really makes the decision much more free and not less. And God definitely wants our giving to be free. Something that we want to do. End of verse 9. A willing gift, not an exaction. Not a... Uh, I have to do this. We we should not feel about our giving to the church, to faith promise, like we feel about April 15th every year. That's not what we're going for. God desires that we desire. He loves it when that happens. says so at the end of verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Now... Does that phrase cause you to stop and think just a minute, like it causes me to stop and think? My my gospel radar goes off when I read things like that. I say, "Mm, wait a minute. Let's think this through. Let's do the let's do the gospel math on it. Does God love me if I give cheerfully? Does God love me because I give cheerfully? We can strike both of those off the list of possibilities from the rest of Scripture. No, God God loves us simply because he loves us. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, His love for us is never merited or conditioned. If it were, he wouldn't love us. When we give cheerfully... Think of it as occasion for him to love you. Think of it, one of the commentaries that I read alluded to this, but then I went back and I couldn't find it to give him credit. But they talked about our cheerful giving as an opportunity for us to experience and to feel the love of God, the love of God that's already there. And if it sounds a little quid pro quo to you, maybe that God loves us because we give, all we have to do is hang on a little bit, and it will be next week, unfortunately, because we're going to see that we only ever have the ability to give cheerfully because of his work of grace that he does in us. We don't give cheerfully naturally. We only do so supernaturally with this assistance. So, um, now, I, I want to deal with one other potential hiccup here in talking about cheerful giving, giving that isn't motivated by a sense of have to or duty or feeling like it's exacted. What is up with the humiliation that Paul mentions in verse four? Did that stand out to you? Paul sending these brothers on ahead to make sure that the Corinthians are ready, otherwise, they might be humiliated. Oh dear. Shame, humiliation, guilt, those might be effective motives for giving. But they're not healthy motives for giving. And they're certainly not God-honoring motives for giving. So what's going on here? Well, I already told you, Paul's been bragging about the Corinthians to others. They're so generous. They're so giving. They're so eager. They've been ready for a year. Well, how awkward would it be? And I do think that's the essence of what we're dealing with here and what Paul's trying to avoid if some of the very ones that Paul has been bragging to come with Paul on his trip and they get to this super generous super eager super giving place and uh (laughs) uh-oh there's nothing here to collect right that would be uncomfortable to say the least And so I really do think it's Paul's desire to avoid that uncomfortable, awkward situation and not him trying to twist their arm in any way. He's not trying to convince them to give. He just wants them to follow through on what they've already discussed and decided. Fourth point. It's okay for the leadership of the church to call for and even to urge For the saints to give and to give generously. I have to keep reminding myself that it's okay to do this. Paul is not taking a a laissez-faire approach to, to giving here. You want to give? Oh, that's great. You don't want to give? Well, that's okay too. He's not like that. We can't be like that as the leaders of this church because God's not like that. He's he's pretty clearly laid it out that we're in a family. We've got brothers and sisters in Christ. And if one of them has a need, we meet that need. He's made it very clear that we're to send laborers into the harvest fields. So when we're aware of that need and we see that need and we have opportunity to meet that need, we meet that need. And so it's okay for your leaders, for me even, to call for giving, to urge generous giving, even even among folks who are already giving generously. Now, I had to give this some thought, too. It was right on the heels of 2022, which was a good year of giving for our church. General fund and faith promise. And we give glory to God for that. So is this really necessary? Why, do we even, why are we even talking about giving and generosity Because of course it's necessary. None of us has arrived. Was it a good year in giving? Yes. Did everybody participate in that? I don't know. I make it a point not to know. But I would imagine that no. I would not imagine that everyone gave or that everyone gave sacrifice, as sacrificially as they could or as generously as they could. You, you see, some folks are encouraged by the generosity of others and it makes them want to give too. But some, unfortunately, see the generosity of others and say, oh, well, that's a pass for me because the church is doing Okay. It's not necessary that I give. Well, it might not be necessary for the health of the budget for you to give. But let me tell you, brother and sister, it's necessary for the health of your heart to give. All of us, the generous and the not so generous, are still in process. We're all still growing, none of us. Has arrived. We could all use some some reminding, some encouraging, some some urging to give and to give generously. Now I've got two more, and I debated on whether to put these in this section today or to put them in the the God's role section because He's definitely got a hand in this too. There's overlap, uh, but I, but I put them here. It's two more results of giving and generosity. The first one we see uh, really backs up to verse. but 11, 12, and 13. This collection will, of course, help meet some physical needs, help put bread on the table for these hungry Christians in Jerusalem. But Paul knows that there's more going on too. He says, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God, By their approval of the service, they will glorify God. So here's part of the driving force behind all of this. Should we be concerned about the needs of those around us? Yes. Should we seek to alleviate those needs as we have opportunity? Yes. Is that our chief end? Nope. What's our chief end? The glory of God. And our giving does just that. It brings Him glory. It will lead lead to many thanksgivings. Not to us. Not, oh, Trinity Church, thank you. No, thanksgivings to God for what He's done through us. And we'll explore this one a little bit more next week too. Uh, The last one that we see uh, for today is in verse 14. So what I think is is a somewhat... Unlikely result of giving, but a beautiful one nonetheless. Generous giving creates beautiful fellowship and unity between the givers and the recipients. The people on the receiving end are going to be grateful to God and glorify him. But they're also going to look what Paul says in verse 14. They're also going to long for you. And pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. There's an intimacy that's created. If you've been around Trinity long enough and you've gotten to know some of our ministry partners that we support and pray for and love on, you'll know that this is true firsthand. the love and the support flow in both directions they truly do and it is beautiful right those of you serving on the missions committee uh, probably know this best you have the most frequent exposure to it but anytime we have opportunity to be around these ministry partners much like we will next week when uh, Keith and Ruth Pallison will be here you can sense it 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 is palpable Uh, Their hearts are, of course, grateful for our prayer support and our financial support. But there's something deeper going on. And I've always sensed it and always loved it. And now I know from Scripture exactly what it is that's going on. The Lord's doing this. The Lord has created this fellowship, this unity between giver and recipient. But they're longing for us and praying for us just like we are for them It's how God has designed our giving to work. Now, that's where we end for today. And so I like taking a a bit more time. I can't imagine now. Now it seems really stupid what I was trying to plan to cram into one sermon. Um, But I like taking our time. I like splitting it up like this. What I don't like is that the fullest connection to the gospel in all of this will happen next week. But you know we can't be gospel-less today. Right, There has to be something said about this inexpressible gift that Paul mentions in the last verse. And that gift, of course, is His Son. And so I'll borrow one verse from the previous chapter. From chapter 8, verse 9. This Son, this inexpressible gift, inexpressible gift, is His Son who was rich, yet for our sakes became poor. Taking on our flesh, taking on the guilt of our sin and rebellion, suffering the wrath of God because of them. He who was rich became poor for our sakes so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Is trusting that gift, is trusting the giving of that. That makes the difference between life and death. And we're going to sing about it much more beautifully in this final song in just a minute. Oh, Father, would you take this passage and part one of this message and would you use it in all of our hearts? Would you take these things that your word says are true about giving and that should be true about our giving? And would you make it so? Would you make it so fueled by the wonder of your giving and your generosity to us in your inexpressible gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray?